Pete, as you know, this is the last episode of season two. How are you feeling about that? Oh, I'd heard about that. It's uh, it's not good, Tom. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss it, too. And as a result, because it is the last show of season two, I thought I'd talk about something soothing for once. Something nice, especially for you. How does that sound? Oh, well, that's very kind. Right, I, I look forward to this. Let's see how it goes. Uh, so I would like to take us on a trip. Are we going to a construction zone? Because you screw that up every time. <laughs> we are not. But <laughs> it, it involves the earth. Here, we'll see. Okay. Uh, in September of this year, so just recently, a villager was walking around a forest near the capital city of Kiev in northern Ukraine. And you know what he found, Pete? Uh, dinosaur. Nope. 12 empty coffins next to 12 freshly uh, dug graves. <laughs> Fun. Okay. Oh, so the villager called the police and they began looking into the incident and their investigation led them to Andre Gelvetro. He's a psychologist who, if you look him up online, he kind of looks like Chris Hardwick. <laughs> that checks out. Yeah. And, uh, Hardwick Gilvetro happily admitted that the coffins were used by him in his psychological treatment. He's a psychologist. So earlier that week, he happily admitted that he had taken 12 of his patients into the forest and buried them alive for over two and a half hours. Said the good doctor, quote, I created this treatment a few years ago. I was the first person who underwent it. This training helps you feel alive. End quote. There's a video online of the procedure. Where a guy who actually weirdly looks like Ryan Seacrest is buried. He's, I guess, standing in as one of the good doctor's patients. A pipe can be seen sticking out of the coffin so the patient can breathe during the hours and hours of therapy. Uh, one of the patients who was reportedly buried alive said, quote, when I got out of the coffin, I felt as if I had become a new person. That was strange. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> Pete, what do you think? <laughs> have i lost you forever why am i salivating so heavily right now like i feel like i'm drowning a little bit by the way that does seem like a strange because you've mentioned salivating before yeah when you're having anxiety uh -huh. that does seem like a strange psychosomatic i think, I think my eyeballs response. are sweating my glasses are fogging up right now i'm not comfortable that was a real i thought that was a a bait and switch on your part and it's not was a good it? one no that was not nice you said it was right. going to be soothing okay and you went all right. deep all right with all right pete can i, I can you, i make it up to you please i don't trust can I please you. make it up to you i, I think you should you at all pete, pete it's the end of season two pete we've been through so much let me make it up to you right now because i have really great news uh-huh Lufthansa Airlines is offering a flight to Kiev from Portland for only $1,600. Wow. And Pete, I think me and all the listeners of What's That Spell should pitch in, and we're going to buy you a trip and a doctor's visit, Pete. What do you think? I think this is the best way to say thank you for all of your hard work. Oh, and in case you're wondering, one of the reasons that that flight is so cheap is it's a one-way ticket. <laughs> Oh God! Time won't stop, so gonna get on the ride. Twisting and turning through life, no matter how rough it gets, I'll get by. Tommy, uh, what's the last thing you ate? Oh, a bagel. How was it? <laughs> what? It was really good. <laughs> how do you like? Was there anything with it? Anything like cream cheese, but low-fat cream cheese? Because I 
believe that if you eat low fat things, but then triple the amount, it all is a wash. <laughs> that's that's smart because because you're a yeah. scientist and we've established that. That's well tried. <laughs> yes. uh, was there anything um, on it other than the cream cheese? Yeah, like even on the cream cheese. On the cream cheese, you know, like living on it. Oh, uh, any no. anything what? at all? It's very important to me to not believe that there was anything living on my food. Well, no, I mean, come on. I, I just I just have to probe a little bit. I have to ask because you being a scientist and all, mm. how do you know there's nothing? I don't like things involving food. Mm. Oh, this is going to be delightful. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I really don't like things on things on food and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure because I, oh, if you know me. I keep a real clean apartment. <laughs> <laughs> well, allow me allow me to give you a little bit of backstory uh, on this. I when we started when we finished last week, you know, we're kind of jamming along trying to figure out what are we going to do for next week. Uh, I didn't actually have a, a listener submission that I was ready to talk about at that point. I didn't really I didn't really have something prepped. And it's the end of the season. And as we've discussed and and we had discussed or at least mentioned uh, kind of our collection of anxieties that we'd had in the queue. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to be talking about for this week. And then my wife brought home from the grocery store some Trader Joe's Pumpkin O's cereal. Pumpkin O's. Oh, right. OK. Mm -hmm. They're delicious. Uh, and, and what do you eat on your cereal, Tom? Milk. Milk. You put milk on your cereal, Tom. That's right. And thus, mm -hmm. I would like to present to you a conversation with my children. Okay. Daughter, standing with refrigerator door open, carton of milk <laughs> eight inches from face. Do we have any milk? Father, incredulous. <laughs> we do have milk. We have the milk that is in front of your face. Daughter, that's old milk. Father, no, it is not. Daughter, do we have any milk that's not old? Yeah. Father, yes, we do. The milk in front of your face. Daughter, uh, daughter stands motionless in front of open refrigerator for 30 more seconds. Father, smell it. Daughter, ew, gross. Father stands, grabs milk from fridge, and proceeds to slowly pour the milk into the sink. Daughter knows drill, stands over sink at safe, non toxic distance. Looking for lumps. Father. Ugh. No lumps. Daughter. Guess it's good enough for you then. <laughs> Father yelling to son who is not in the room. Did you use this milk on your smoothie this morning? Was it any good? Son. Distant. I'm pooping. <laughs> <laughs> that is like the worst yeah. episode of Family Circus. I guess. <laughs> She she asked me uh, to absolutely talk about this on the show, and I told her to get this talked about on the show. She would have to actually write in, and of course, she doesn't. Oh. She doesn't email me. Oh, <laughs> uh, and so I, I went on about my week. And, but I, I gotta tell you, I I could not let it go, and so I jumped into one of my favorite Discord servers that I love very much, and I posed the question: Does anybody have any anxiety around food and food spoilage that they would like oh. to share? Man, so much. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Mm. This is this is good and bad for me. No, it's not. Because I it, definitely have this. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's, it's also not bad good. It's, it's mostly bad all me. the bad. 
it's mostly um, all the bad. But I here's the thing that I found so interesting is that uh, at a very high level, there is a lot of anxiety around food and food spoilage. And yes, and most of it at a very high level, it's it's anxiety that is I mean, it's irrational. It's not true. Right. So the the things that people generally are anxious about, they're not things that you necessarily have to be anxious about. What I discovered is there are things that most people aren't anxious about that they really should be. And oh, no, that's, are you that's doing another episode of yeah. give everyone more? Anxiety? <laughs> well, it's certainly maybe what happened to me. Uh, okay. so, so I've got a couple of things. So I, these are some of the assorted comments that I got from folks uh, who wrote back to me after this question. Uh, and there were a lot. Mm. Quote, I fight every single day not to throw out vegetables that aren't magazine mm. picture perfect. <laughs> mm -hmm. The main reason yep. I eat anymore is to make sure food in my house doesn't rot. Right. There's an interesting variety of eating disorder that emerges out of this. Wow. Uh, quote, the main reason I don't eat anymore is that everything in my fridge is eventually going to kill me. If it's soft, mushy or stinky, I have to move on, uh, which I actually think is a pretty good rule of thumb, as we'll talk about. Soft, mushy and stinky. That was the other possible uh, name for our podcast. <laughs> SMS. Uh, yeah, yeah we're getting shirts. Uh, I got serious food poisoning as a kid, and now I pretty much only eat prepared foods, packaged foods, well-done meats, nothing that could obviously go bad. Mm. Uh, I'm sure most of what I hear about food spoilage is myth, but for some reason it's stuck. Now I'm pretty annoying in the kitchen. <laughs> I like that one the best. It's the most self-aware. If I feel even the slightest bit sick within a day of eating something I didn't prepare myself, I'm sure it's food poisoning. I get nauseated. I have to lie down. This can put me in bed for a day. Oof. Right? Uh, from there, I was directed to this wonderful essay that I'll put in the show notes by Jennifer Billock Advice, who suffers from the same. And I want to read a, a passage here from, from Jennifer. I have an official diagnosis control-based anxiety and borderline OCD specific to food quality, and I'm now working on how to navigate this. I have since learned that OCD tendencies can be inherited through genetics, which my own therapist says is likely the case with me, compounded by a few bad experiences that interacted with my anxiety about being unable to control when exactly food will spoil. We're working on retraining my brain to be concerned at a rational level rather than assuming anything and everything is spoiled and will turn my life into the bathroom scene from Bridesmaids, <laughs> which I adore. Uh, yeah. So there we go. So let's talk then about you, Tom, uh, because I did not I, I don't know why I didn't expect this, but for some reason, I didn't expect you to have quite such a visceral reaction. Although after your cold open, I feel like that's karma. This <laughs> is absolutely chickens coming home to roost. Oh, and don't get me started on chicken. No, I do very much have this anxiety, uh, especially it's I mean, you brought up milk, milk and chicken. I have been for some reason, uh, it's become just in my mind that those are out to kill me at times. I have and it's not all just um, <laughs> hypothetical. I have given myself food poisoning, I think, three to four times. And that's part of the problem of food poisoning, not severe, go to the hospital food poisoning, but just like even the basic food poisoning, I think I'm going to die. Like it's the worst experience, one of the worst experiences that I've ever gone through. Mm. Um, and so I think that's where a lot of my fear comes from. That's interesting. But you've never, I mean, when you've given yourself food poisoning, you, you haven't been hospitalized from it, right? Correct. Okay. No. So it's, but I, that's the point that's the is I don't even need... Part. 
Well, that's the irrational part. But also I would like to posit, I don't need the hospital because the hospital, they can give me things. Just being at home for a day or a night with food poisoning is the worst experience. And so uh, I don't think that that's that irrational <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah, well, I'm just wondering why you have decided that you need to punish yourself when you're ill. <laughs> if the hospital is a thing that could give you something to make you feel better, why do you elect to stay home and suffer? I'm a real pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess it's just, I mean, because I, I know that it's food poisoning. Yeah. And so it's just something that you ride out. Is that dumb? <laughs> Do people go to the hospital for food poisoning? Sure, they do. I didn't even know that was. Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, well, now I want to give myself food poisoning. Just to <laughs> test it out. Trip. Just take it for yeah. a ride. That's good. That's yeah. good. Well, let's talk about what it is for real. Uh, this is sibophobia. Uh, sibophobia is food aversion. It's an anxiety around food, like you avoid certain foods. And uh, it can also be um, uh, swallowing. Uh, like a concern about swallowing. This is kind of a, it's putting it a little bit lightweight for people who have a specific phobia around food freshness and spoilage. Uh, mm -hmm. So we'll talk about this as kind of the light end uh, of it, where, where people can just say, no, I don't eat things. I only eat foods that are white, for example, right? I just, you have a, a sure. certain a category of foods that you know are safe in your heart of hearts. And so you avoid things like mushrooms and cheeses and pickles and eggs and mayonnaise and milk and broccoli. Like you avoid the things that you've heard stories about or that you maybe have gotten sick with in the past. And so you, you avoid mm -hmm. those. And that takes starts taking a bit of a dangerous turn when, you know, you find yourself susceptible, sort of empathetic toward stories in popular media uh, it, mm. it, you know, that you hear on the news about the E. coli outbreaks and the you know, right. these things that, that have a particular hold on your own psyche. That that's the kind of thing that you can internalize more quickly than than other people if you are struggling with this fear of food. Oh, I just I just thought of another one that I have that's not necessarily <laughs> based on a real thing. I've never eaten a what would you call it? Dairy based like like potato salad at a picnic. <laughs> Really? Whenever there's something that like there's a potato salad or like macaroni where it has a bunch of cream and stuff in it, if it's sitting in the sun, for me, that means it's gone bad. That, you know what? You are not alone. And that really? is absolutely <laughs> the number of stories of people who are talking about how if it's if I came in the room and I didn't take it out of the refrigerator and put it on the counter, right. but it was sitting on the counter, it is of questionable uh, health and I will not yeah. I will not eat it. It must be and then spoiled. add the sun to it. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Awful. Of course. So let's talk about this food. Let's talk about the specific food waste that people are are tossing because they're anxious about. And that is it's all rooted in best before dates. You know what I'm right. saying? That's the thing. Yes. Best before best used by. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be a real like consensus on the best way to do it. Well, and it's, it's it, there's a lot of, of confusion around this, right? It, it's sell by dates, use by dates. Nobody knows the difference. Nobody really cares. They see a date and they think, well, I'm just going to eat it by this time. And if not, they'll throw it away. And uh, right. and so we have so much food waste. Uh, and yeah. a lot of it comes from a manufactured anxiety manufactured by by food manufacturers that that you know have this these sell by dates that generally you don't need to worry about so oh is it like planned obsolescence a little bit i, I think a little bit of that there are some that is around general health and safety uh concerns but most of it is we need to get better at trusting our eyes and our nose 
here you go. I'm going to give you a couple of uh, a couple that you're going to be able to start to use right away. How about eggs? Do you ever get anxious about cooking eggs? When how do you know if an egg is fresh? I do. Yes, I do. Do you know how to check the freshness of an egg? Until now, I only go by the date. Tell me. I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you something else to do. You place it in a bowl of cold water. If it is a (laughs) fresh egg, the egg will lie horizontally at the bottom of the bowl. If it's stale, it will float vertically. What do you think about that? Wow. Yeah. Think about that. Did you, make, did you make that up? I did not make that up. I did not make that up. In fact, but a lot of this be comes funny if from. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. This comes from Jamie Oliver, who is a renowned British chef, and he is a huge oh, yeah. proponent of of you know an activist around food waste. He really wants people mm-hmm. to stop wasting food, and uh, and so he's he has some fantastic resources around this. How about yogurt and milk? This is the one, obviously, that started my conversation. Uh, how yeah, we... milk, milk is big for me. Yeah. Because the problem with milk, and it's such a cliche, but it always kind of smells like it might be bad. Milk if is... you just yeah. open up milk, it just smells funny. So I can never tell. Milk is funny. It's, you know, you buy pasteurized milk. I mean, milk, it, it's got a, a, an unreasonably long shelf life, right? Milk always surprises me that it lasts as long as it does. And the you know what Oliver says here is uh if it smells or tastes okay then it's okay. Right? Okay. When, when, as soon as it's gross uh then it's gross and you stop drinking it or eating it then it's not good for you anymore. But w- if it smells and tastes okay then it's okay. Uh you can also make yogurt out of it or put it in a smoothie. All of that can kind of if it's if it's just slightly off uh sometimes that that kind of bitter taste is good when you put it in something else, right? It's great in pancakes. Huh. It's great in so, so you can continue to use it and not just drink it as soon as it's not good to, you know straight to the palate. The one thing I would say another uh, fantastic resource that I use is the Sawbones podcast which I adore. Yes, I've listened to one episode of that it is a fantastic you should listen to more <laughs> of them they actually do an, an episode ar- around uh, raw milk and and uh, you know that's that's kind of a thing people who get unpasteurized straight from the dairy milk and and it's generally good milk i mean that's it's good healthy milk it's good for you but you know we invented humanity invented pasteurization for a reason and it turns out yeah. when raw milk is bad it's really really bad and right. so you may have great luck with it until you don't and uh and that's the thing yeah. that's what i would be worried about is that it's it i don't want to roll the dice at all exactly and so if you're with if you don't get it, especially if you have any anxiety around milk or chicken don't roll those dice and in this case just buy your pasteurized milk you can use it as long as you need to use it until it starts to smell uh funky and then put it in a smoothie or in your pancakes it's great what about cheeses yeah, if I see any kind of color that's not supposed to be on a cheese, I will, of course, not eat it because that's insane, right? Well, it it turns out it may be insane, uh, but only on the hard cheeses. If it's a soft cheese and you see visible mold on the cheese, uh, yeah, toss that. You don't you don't want to do that. But if it's a hard cheese, cut that mold right off. If you see the mold and you can excise the mold from the cheese, cut it off and eat it. You can if you don't trust it, you can cook it, right? Put it oh. in a nice uh, put it on a pizza or or something like that. There's absolutely uh things you can do with cheese and we throw away a lot of cheese because people are overly aggressively anxious about when cheese actually goes bad. If you treat it like the gross part of a banana, I don't throw away a banana because it has like this weird brown mushy spot. I just cut that part out. Well, and that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from. Like when people have anxiety about fruit, it's and and vegetables. If there is a brown gross part, 
they'll throw the whole thing away. That's where a lot of this anxiety that I'm sort of reading about comes from. And uh, it turns out you don't have to be quite so aggressive that you can, uh, in fact, use those things, cut off the banana part, cut off the apple part, the, the way the mold works generally, it's not uh, the, that the bacteria is in there and it's racing you to eat the food, but what it hasn't actually but it's really discolored. Just what you're seeing. Yeah, is what you're seeing. So you oh. can more often than not, you can trust your eyes. Uh, and so that is actually very helpful because I would, I think irrationally or whatever, not really thinking it through, I would think that if, if I can see that, I can't see the real horror that's going on. That's right. And in, in some cases, uh, you know, you might have to worry about that, like we've talked about with some of the soft cheeses, those kinds of things. That's why you don't want to eat the soft cheese after you do that. But but generally, <laughs> uh, it's a sign that that you're probably still OK. Um, and uh, and so you can trust your eyes and your nose. Uh, same thing with breads. Oh, my goodness. We throw out a lot of bread um, and. Uh, there are a number of great things you can do with stale breads. And oh, man, we love stale breads. You can turn them into breadcrumbs and bread pudding and uh, all kinds of wonderful things you can do with stale breads you, once you cut off the moldy parts. Uh, and so. Can I share a tip that almost probably everyone knows, but sure. I just learned in the last uh, year and a half? Mm -hmm. I keep my bread in the refrigerator and it's great. It lasts forever and it still tastes like bread. It's not dried out or weird as long as you keep it in a bag. A uh, friend of the show, Johnny Giacalone, uh, told me to do that. And I've been doing it ever since. And it really makes a huge difference. So if that helps one person, you're welcome. Indeed. And I would say the freezer, too. If you want to save it for a really long time, like if you buy sure. two loaves of bread, you can put one in the freezer and save it. And it thaws out just perfect. And and same thing with fruits and vegetables. If things are, uh, you know, if, if they're... Uh, smelling good, but you know they're going to turn. If those bananas are going to turn, drop them in the freezer. Uh, you know, you can peel them first and put them in a Ziploc and put them in the freezer and then just drop a frozen kind of brownish banana in a smoothie and you, you'll never know the difference. Mm. Uh, and it's perfect and cold and everything's great. So a, a lot of this is hard. And I know that, you know, if you're really living with this kind of anxiety around food, that what you're saying is, yeah, that's all. Those are great life hacks, Pete. Uh, and, right. and I totally <laughs> I totally get that, especially because the the shame and judgment that you are likely like your inner voice is shouting is uh, mm. it, Eat the food, you jerk, because of, you know, the kids who are broke and hungry and, you know, right. your privilege is getting the way of your anxiety. You know what I mean? Like those those what is your what's your problem? You nonsense hustler like eat, just eat the food and <laughs> nonsense hustler. <laughs> sometimes words come out and they make things that you want to put on a hat. Tommy, I can't help it. <laughs> Uh, but but what you have to remember, and this uh, is this is a, a, an important angle. It is the anxiety. It is the you know in some cases the control based OCD, like the borderline OCD. It is all of these things that are making you feel like garbage. Right? It's not the mm. food. The food oh, is a symptom. Right? You are feeling like garbage because of the the you know the mental compromise, the emotional compromise that you're struggling with. And that's a that is a really important distinction uh, with this condition, with all of these anxiety conditions. And I think it's one that we could use more of a mantra like I'm my mental illness is causing me to feel this way. In this case, my anxiety is causing me to feel this way. In this case, it's not the food. The food is going to be fine. I can choose to eat it or not. But, uh, you know, how my anxiety is something that I have to to deal with. 
be kinder to yourself. Yes. Always. That's at the end of everything that Pete and I always say. When in doubt, just be nicer to yourself. Right, right. And uh, also, you know, smell the milk. <laughs> Home moves with me where I roam. It's in every dream I make my own. I'm never alone. So, Pete, for my anxiety this week, I would like to take you on another trip. We're so international, Pete. Yeah, let's do it. We've had such success with these little mind trips so far. (laughs) This one, I promise, is not a trick like the last one. This one's just about me. But many, many, many years ago, I was very lucky to take a trip to Venice, Italy. Oh, (laughs) with my parents. Uh, We were staying outside of Venice proper in the nearby town of Mestra and would take a rail into the city. For those that don't know, Venice can be seen as two different parts split up by water, which kind of winds in kind of a backwards S. And almost all of the tourist stuff exists on the southern part of the S. And the locals largely live on the northern side. And this is going to be important in a second. Like any American idiot, I wanted to see where the locals live. And as such, I made an agreement with my parents on the very last day of our trip that they would ride the rail home to Mestra at around 6 p.m. And I would meet them back at the hotel around 8 p.m. after some fun exploring in the northern part. So this is just a recipe for disaster. I can already <laughs> tell. <laughs> this is a complete train. This is the story that horror movies are made of. You're going to end up... <laughs> buried in the woods by the mob it's so so sad because i was being so positive in the way that i was saying it and everyone was like don't do it mom you're an idiot (laughs) totally seen this movie so (laughs) goodbye mom and dad and like a real big boy i jumped on a vaporetto which is what they call Paddington bear now what (laughs) i jumped on a vaporetto that's important for later it's what they call the public water ferry Uh, And I crossed over the backwards S into the real Venice. And Pete, for the first hour and a half, it was magical. The northern part of Venice is filled with a lot of off-the-beaten-path basilicas and fresh food markets and tons of public squares with a bunch of people bartering. And right around magic hour, when the sun was setting, I found one public square that was filled with children playing soccer alongside families and friends enjoying coffee and bread and cheese on these long tables set up just for that. It was wonderful. I was like, I knew that I had done it. I went on a travel adventure on my own, found something wonderful that not all tourists would get to be a part of. I did it, Pete. And then suddenly, when does this turn into the third class ticket on the Titanic? (laughs) Well, then it got dark. (laughs) And Pete, it got grim. Everyone started to, as you do when you're a local and you have a life to live, everyone started to pack up to go to their houses. I looked at my watch and realized that I needed to hustle back to the station to catch a train back. So I started retracing my steps and none of the retracing went well. Venice, especially the northern part, isn't built on any type of a grid. And the streets and alleyways are incredibly winding. And the lack of clear lines matched with, for me, the indecipherable street names made me realize very quickly I might be in serious trouble. And as I didn't realize until I was there, the map we were given by the cruise line that was a part of this entire trip, it really backed up this idea because the northern side of the map over the backward S, it kind of faded out into nothing. As if there was nothing worth seeing there. And so there was just no map to go on. And this is way before smartphones, any of this stuff. I need to I need uh, to interject here that just for those who aren't doing this as I am, I am actually 
with you on this trip right now by using the satellite view of Google Maps. And all I can oh. say is the northern part of uh, the, the on the backward desk thing, the northern part is actually called ghetto. Now, I know that that word oh. is extremely loaded. And in Italian, it probably doesn't mean the same thing that I'm thinking of. No. But it sort of feels like where this story is going. Interesting. I did not know that. And I'm glad I didn't know that at the time. Anyways, so the streets were rapidly emptying and I'm picking up my pace and I'm feeling if I can just find the water, the backwards ass that I could get my bearings, I would find street names or arrows on signs that I recognize and I would follow them down alleys that would over and over again lead to dead ends. There were whole signs just saying Vaporetto this way, and I would follow it and it would lead to just this sort of dock where no Vaporetto would ever go to. Um, oh, ha! <laughs> did I mention the scary plague masks? <laughs> I forgot about this until just now. While we were there, Venice was gearing up for a carnival. And as such, every store was selling those plague masks, which doctors would wear to stave off infection back in the 17th century. Were I think they it was. the pointed beaks? Yes, they look like you're a terrifying bird man yep. with like a long, narrow beak and glass eyes. So every local shop I came across in all of these dead ends had a dark shop. And the only thing that was lit up were these bird masks staring at me saying, you're going to die here. <laughs> so I'm way late to catch a train. It is full dark now. I have no idea where I am. And the streets are almost completely empty. I'm sprinting around desperately trying to find anyone to talk to and there's no one around i finally find one last group of people all sort of partying they're going into what i assume is some sort of an apartment building and i desperately asked them vaporetto <laughs> no i remember this guy he had a beautiful mustache he was very tall he looked at me and he said vaporetto woof shook his head and walked inside, meaning I was so far away from where Evaporetta would pick me up. There was no help. Yeah. He closes the door. I'm alone. Wow. Okay. I'm going to speed through the rest of the story. It took me another hour and a half. I'm sprinting. Have you done something for an hour and a half when you were in a panic beat? Yeah. It feels like Anyways, I found my way to the original square, which led me to the Vaporetto, which led me to the rail, which led me to Mestra and to my parents who were extremely angry at me <laughs> because I was in a foreign city and dumb and I was back way, way, way late. Okay, so that's the story part. And what this leads into is, if I'm going to be completely honest, Pete, and my friends will know this, I don't need to be in the northern part of Venice to get lost. <laughs> I have a terrible sense of direction. And I lack a basic know-how for where I am and where I'm going and how to get there. And it has given me a ton of anxiety throughout my life. As such, I bring to you and our fellow podcasties, Mazophobia. No. The fear, the fear of being lost. You can tell by the cutesy name that this anxiety has yet to be included in any medical dictionaries yet. But like some of the other bizarre names that I've gone through before, Mazophobia is the one that people have decided on. Wow. So, how are you with a sense of direction, if I may ask you? Terrible. Really? Oh, yeah. I would think that you would be, for some reason, I would think that you would just have like a real innate ability about it. Innate ability. Where do you, where do you get that by me? You seem like someone who is good at being an adult, I guess, <laughs> is, is one way of saying it. I don't know the best way. I have been known to seem adult like, really hard yeah, in my you time. You seem like yeah, you can adult true. all over the place. And I'm and no one looks at me and says, wow, what an adult that guy is. <laughs> 
no, I'm a I, child in just large shoes. I must yeah. tell you the truth. No, I am of the age of the GPS. Like if that was mm. sort of the Anthropocene, like marked uh, me, uh, that is my relationship with with the now. Like if I don't, I've lived in my fair city, Portland, for uh, 20 years next year. And there are maybe five places I can get to without a map. Like I always have the GPS going, even for places where I totally know where I'm going. Yes, um, I do yeah. too. It's hugely and important. And I'm a mess when it comes to uh, evaluating, you know, public transit. Like that is that is so hmm. uh, it's so obscure to me that that there is a there is a whole cast of people who are so equipped and capable at navigating public transit they look at a map and it it actually doesn't like to me when i look at the public transit map it turns into like that cartoon kind of knots you know <laughs> that sort of start moving and then they tie themselves together <laughs> and then the guy from i'm just a bill the schoolhouse rock comes out and starts singing to me in my head about what a fool i am for not being able to ride the damn train and that's my relationship so i am i absolutely relate to this absolutely huh. and so right. i feel so much more comfortable talking to you about venice with the the google map open uh yeah otherwise i'd be i'd be in a, a little bit of a state myself i have this i have this friend and i the, his, his name is ted and i go driving with him and he's he works in a business that requires him to know how to get places uh, and i don't mm. know if it's it's a chicken or the egg thing i don't know if he was already good at at this or if his work has caused him to develop this certain muscle but i call him ted maps and there is a time oh. <laughs> where when i'm driving around if i don't get a gps signal i will call ted maps and i'll say tell me how to get from where i am right now to where i'm going and he'll be able to get me there not even being in the same state really yeah yeah he's just that good he has just such an innate sense of direction that really leads in perfectly thank you very much that leads in perfectly to i wanted to talk about the basic science i did some research speak, mm -hmm. as i do mm -hmm. and i did some basic research into how the brain how certain people just have a really good sense of direction or knowing uh where they're going so the beeps and the beeps and boops in our brain that are in charge of navigation are the same ones that maintain memory the hippocampus and the nearby interhinal cortex oh Ooh. the interhinal cortex um and throughout the brain there are head direction cells that activate only when our heads are facing a certain direction what that helps our minds develop a rudimentary compass this is true <gasps> i read it wow and it, also in the hippocampus, uh, they're called place cells, P-L-A-C-E. Place cells fire off electrical impulses wherever, whenever we enter a familiar location. So wait, now how do uh, I know which way I should point to get those to turn on? Sounds like something I could use. It sounds like something, and we're going to get to the end of this, that we might not have oh. very well. Not everyone has such a well-developed version of this. But in people that are very well, uh, each bundle of active cells corresponding uniquely to an individual place, they fire off. So as soon as you're there, this certain amount of cells just for that place are like, yep, I'm here, and therefore I know what's around me. Lastly and more recently, scientists have found evidence of so-called grid cells also in the interhinal cortex that fire in a repeatable pattern in relation to where we are in the location. So this is your brain just has these cells, place cells, grid cells that are 
sort of making a virtual map in your head. Sometimes it's based on environment, location. Sometimes it's spatial uh, of I'm 50 yards away from here and then 50 yards away from there. Uh, but all of those work together to make everything work. And it's not the same in everyone. <laughs> wow. I'm so disappointed because I now know that I am one of those people that doesn't have what you're talking about. And I'm very sad. Real quick. I know you're feeling bad about it, but I found a blog that had five tips to overcome being afraid of getting lost. And I'd love to share them with you if I could real quick. Oh, that sounds hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Number one, acknowledge and feel the fear. Number two, notice the location of the fear in your body. Number three, place your hands over the place where the fear is located. Number four, inhale deeply into that place, breathing in faith and exhaling fear. Number five, buy a GPS. I'm not, I'm not making that up. That was the list that was on this box. You know what you don't need? One through four. <laughs> So you did bring up GPS. And of course, my phone has alleviated a ton of my anxiety. But like you, I'm using Waze and Google Maps constantly. Part of it is because I live in Los Angeles and traffic changes so much. It just make it behooves you to know what's going on all the time. But I had a real feeling that I'm making it worse for myself in the long run by just relying on a device. If I lose coverage, it puts me in a panic. I don't have a TED Maps. And if an EMP goes off, and you know it will, I'm going to be in real trouble. And mm. I did some research, and I'm right. Oh, <laughs> gross. A 2010 study by McGill University researchers found that older adults who reported regularly using GPS to navigate had less activity and less gray matter in their hippocampus compared to those who didn't. We're hurting our brains, Pete. It's a shame. They also performed slightly worse on a cognition test. As a corollary, a 2008 study found the hippocampuses, this is great, of London taxi drivers were on average much larger than those in the general population. Wow. Because they're, they, back in 2008, they were going out and finding their way through these roads and working out that muscle. And it really is kind of like a muscle. Uh, because I found... There's a bunch of tips, and they're all kind of as dumb as the the five that I read before. <laughs> but I did find one which goes into it actually kind of really correlates with your TED Maps situation, mm -hmm. which is um, S. Asuyam Azizi, a PhD, who chairs the Department of Neurology at Temple University School of Medicine. He says you can train your brain. He says that the best way to improve your spatial memory is to engage in activities that sp specifically involve both objects and coordinates, meaning you can practice combining these two skills by looking at a landmark and then locating it on a map. Oh, so you're, you're, you're involving environmental and spatial at the same time. So if you're able to see there's that gas station that I always know that I, if you're then able to look at a map, you will help your grid and place cells create what is missing, what you and I are horribly missing in our brains. It seems like a weird thing to kind of practice, but he says, and he, again, PhD, School of Medicine, his first name is just S period. That sounds smart. <laughs> he says that if you really do spend some time with this, you will just basically recreate your brain to help you in that kind of situation. So I thought that might help. Well, we need to do this immediately. Yeah. Because I was already searching for how can I get a new hippocampus? Who are you? 
Like, is there a way I could just get a new one? And it sounds uh, like there aren't. There isn't much of a market for that. And no, no. Well, I while I was talking, it's funny that you were doing something else because I was actually creating a map of Kiev. Uh, because Pete, we're gonna bury you alive. <laughs> There's no way around it. Happy season two. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, Square, electronic <laughs> listening <laughs> protocol device. Pick a book, everybody. There's a lot of them. <laughs> there sure are. There are a lot of books out there, and you should pick one. And we don't even have one to talk to you about. Mostly, we're just excited that we made it through <laughs> season two. Yeah, Dad, I really did it. <laughs> we are really, uh, we are real excited about uh, the fact that we made it through season two, and we're even more excited about the fact that we've decided, you know, uh, we're going to do season three, uh, but we're going to take, uh, as we do, some time off. So we'll see you sometime in early next year. How about that? I think that sounds absolutely great. This is the first thing I've committed to for 2019. That feels big. Yeah, I might still be alive. <laughs> oh, dark. We'll see. Oh, was it? <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you guys, everyone, so much, so much for listening and your support. While we are gone, of course, now is the time, as we say each week, but we really mean it. If you can share it with a friend, they can now binge season one and season two like real creeps, <laughs> and they'll be all caught up uh, with all of our anxiety. And we have some big new plans coming up for next season. Like what, Pete? Why would you do that? <laughs> To me, that's the meanest thing you've done on this show yet. <laughs> and with the change we made this season of inviting listener submissions, we're still going to be doing that. But we've got some other new things to keep this as fresh as possible in the can. So please make sure to keep us subscribed. And we miss you already. Don't forget, while we're down, you can still email us at somethingstinky at whatsthatsmell.net. Whatsthatsmell.net. Something stinky at what's mm. that smell.net and what's delightful about that every time you send an email it makes a little fart sound in tommy's phone <laughs> oh my god oh this is the perfect time for a season break because you're the worst <laughs> thank you everybody so so much there's nothing coming up next week but there will be a lot coming up in the future this week's tune has been something new by bam tone <laughs> thank you all so much for listening i'm tommy mess the third and i'm pete wright and we'll be back next season on what's that smell i know that every day will always bring me something new oh.